Let's it fly. Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. That's right, that's right. It is episode number two of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello and I am back with the second installment of Seeing Red. To be honest, that's one more episode that I thought we would get to. So if you're back for episode number two, or if you're a new listener checking in for the first time, thank you uh, for me. Give yourself a pat on the back. Give yourself a round of applause. But please hold on, hold hold off on that if you're driving, and uh, save that for later. If you're joining us for the first time, as I said, my name is Troy Moriello. I started this podcast one week ago. We're trying to cover all things St. John's basketball. If you're interested in hearing episode number one, which was our preview show that came out last Wednesday, you can do that by heading on over to my Twitter account. I am at Troy Moriello. That last name is M A U. R-I-E-L-L-O, no spaces, just the name. You can follow me if you'd like, but more importantly, there you can find a link to my SoundCloud, which will have all past episodes for the time being. I'm working on uh, getting this onto Apple Podcasts and iTunes. I guess it's it's Apple Podcasts, I think. Um, I've submitted it. They just need to approve it. I think they said that could take up to two weeks, so we're waiting on that. For now, all episodes will be on SoundCloud, and hopefully... In the next, maybe next week, maybe the week after, we will get them on iTunes. I will definitely tweet the link to the uh, iTunes page as well, or the Apple Podcast page, once they're all up on there. But for now, we are on SoundCloud. Also on Twitter, though, you can leave some feedback for me on how you think the show can improve. Uh, If you'd like to join me for an episode, hit me up on Twitter as well, DM or tweet at me, whatever. We can certainly make that happen as well. Um, As I said, I'm looking for for, uh, maybe a a sort of alternating co-host or rotating co-host type thing. Uh, Maybe not the same co-host every week, but I don't want this to just be me sitting in front of this mic for 20 minutes every week. So as I said, if you'd like to join the conversation, uh, let me know and we can definitely make something happen. Speaking of uh, joining the conversation, we're still working on this Big East preview that I was talking about of last week. Uh, We are in the works right now with three separate writers of three separate teams. Um, Those interviews should happen, I would say, in the next week at some point. So we're trying to get you as many of those as I can. Um, It's not as easy as... I guess I thought it was going to be balancing my schedule where this is not a full-time job for me. Obviously Uh, I have a job as well. And the people that I'm contacting also have jobs. So it is a little bit tough to balance two schedules or three schedules or four schedules at once, but I'm trying to make it work. And um, you know, if we don't get to the whole big East, that's not a big deal, but I'd like to get as many teams as possible before the season starts. And hopefully those will start trickling out into next week's episode where we will be joined by a couple Big East guests. But first, circling back to Queens now, let's get into what I think is the biggest news from the past week. And I think that you guys will all agree with me. It's this secret scrimmage, this uh, closed door scrimmage against URI, not open to the public at Carneseca Arena. Fun fact, I actually walked in on one of these uh, two years ago when I was still a student there. I was at the gym and I just happened to to make a right turn instead of a left. And they were actually, I think it was URI, they were scrimmaging that year as well. So uh, 
it is exactly what it looks like. It's just it's just two teams in practice uniform scrimmaging. I don't know if it was the same this year, but that's what it was then. I watched like five minutes and then someone kicked me out. Um, but in terms of this one, I think the result definitely could have been a little bit better for St. John's. Obviously, an 85 to 79 loss. Is that alarming? I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, there is definitely some good to take out of this. There is definitely some bad to take out of this. And there's a little bit in the middle. But listen, it's an 85-79 loss to a URI team that seems like it's going to be rebuilding. Um, but if you're going to play a, a, a dud game like this, probably the best time to do it was in October. But first, let's look at the good uh, I have two good things that I want to hit on and then three kind of not so good things or bad things that I want to hit on. The the really good, in my opinion, is C.D. Keita. Uh, 15 points for him, six rebounds, two blocks. He shot uh, seven of 10 from the field, 33 minutes. Listen, if this guy can be a real offensive threat for them, and if he can, I mean, I don't think he's going to score 15 a game, but if he can score double digits in, in, in most games or average that, that is that is huge for St. John's because he's going to start, I would assume, or he'll get a lot of minutes as he's got 33 in this game. If, if he's another reliable scoring threat, especially in the front court, they have not had that in a long time, especially from a center. You know, you look at Tariq Owens and Chris Obekpa, which are really the last two uh, very good centers that they have had on this team. Neither one of them were very much offensive threats. I mean, both of them were good around the rim. Uh, Owens kind of tried to venture out into three-point range. Uh, Kata actually hit a three in this game as well from the, looking at the box score. Um, but if he can be an offensive threat, it gives St. John something that they certainly haven't had at all in the Chris Mullen era, which is a big man that can score. And they really haven't had for a very, very long time going back into the Steve Lavin era. So this team, their offense has been mostly, mostly predicated around the guards and the backcourt. So if they can get something out of their front court at a CDK to going forward, that's huge. That is really huge for them. And um, the second really good thing that I wanted to focus on here, LJ Figueroa, 13 points. Uh, he had six fouls, actually. Five rebounds, uh, four steals. He shot five of nine from the field, one of two from three-point line in 23 minutes. Um, if anything, I just like this. This is a Juco kid, obviously, coming in. You never really know what you're going to get out of them. Uh, they've had some success in the past with Juco's. They've had some some misses and duds in the past with Juco's. So this is a nice thing to see that he scored 13. I think he was there tied for their third leading scorer, actually. Um, that's a good thing to see. Five of nine shooting off the bench in 23 minutes. Very, very good as well. They're going to need someone to come off the bench. As I said last week, this team has a lot more depth. You know, Brian Trimble, Figueroa, Greg Williams, all fat, all you would assume will play some good time. William, Williams only played five minutes in this scrimmage, apparently. But you would assume that they're going to go eight or nine deep most games. And to see Figueroa with 13 points off the bench... That's going to be huge for them to, to be able to have a consistent bench score, which is also something that they really haven't had for for a while now. I mean, you know, you go back maybe to to Jamal Branch in the, in the old days, or not the old days, but a couple of years ago. Um, they haven't had that guy that can come on and, and score in bunches off the bench, at least. So to see him putting up 13 points in just 23 minutes, really, really good and a good sign going forward that... This kid could be for real, and by for real, I mean a really a threat off the bench for them going forward. Um, but while you got those contributions by from Keda and from Figueroa, 
there were certainly some bad things to look at. And unfortunately, the bad focus is in the backcourt from Shamori Pons and Mustafa Heron. Um, first game, I guess, or scrimmage for them together against an opponent, and they didn't play too well. Pons led the team with uh, 17 points. It says that he's only uh, 4 of 8 from the field, though, because I think he hit 7 free throws here, it says. So only shot 4 of 8 from the field. So didn't shoot terrible. Um, but what really concerns me is his six turnovers. That that can't happen for him. He had seven assists and he had eight rebounds, but too many turnovers for, from uh, Shimori there. And, you know, this needs to be the year for Shimori Pons and turning the ball over six times. I understand Rhode Island, you know, the way that they're coached and the way that they play. They're a pesky team. I'm sure that they forced a lot of turn. They did force a lot of turnovers. They forced 19 in the game, which is too many. Um, seven of them, or six of them, though, coming from Pons is, is too many. Um, he did shoot relatively well, though, four of eight, and then two of four from three. So that's not a huge concern. I think his shooting is going to improve. You know, I, I really do. Um, NBA scouts, that was really the one big thing about his game was that he was he's a volume shooter. He did not shoot very well last season at all. Um, and I think that he focused on that in the offseason. I think he's going to be a much improved shooter. So that doesn't really concern me, but the turnovers, six in a game for Shimori, who is now a junior and who really, um, you know, shouldn't ever really be turning the ball over six times, to be honest. Uh, but the seven assists are nice and the eight rebounds are nice as well. And uh, Mustafa Heron, though, not a great opener for him on paper. Again, um, we're, we're, we're probably happy that this was not televised because he shot only one one of ten from the field, had eight points. Um two assists and one turnover, had two blocks as well in 29 minutes. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that they expect him to be a major scorer for this team. I think that he's more of a playmaker for them, hopefully. Um, he doesn't need to score a ton, but one of 10 shooting is not going to get it done. I think the one that he hit was a three, actually, but one of 10 shooting is um, got to be better than that, obviously. Can't shoot 10% at all. You know, like I said... You know what you're going to get out of Shimori Pons, Mustafa Heron, Marvin Clark, and Justin Simon. And Clark and Simon had pretty much the type of games that you would expect them to have. Um, Simon actually hit three three-pointers. Clark had 11 points, only shot three of 11 from the field, according to this this box score again. Um, but Heron, you can't be shooting one of 10 from the field, so that's not a great debut. You wonder maybe if uh, a little bit of, I don't want to say rust, because he played last year and he practiced with the team. But maybe a little bit of, I don't even want to say jitters. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it is a little bit of rust, I guess, um, playing in game action with this team for the first time. But who knows? I mean, you know, it, it is just one game, so I don't want to overreact, obviously. But the 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 Heron 1 of 10 shooting and the Pons 6, or six turnovers are definitely the two biggest concerns. And then on the defensive side of the ball, um, URI shot 10 of 13, or 10 of 17, sorry from three-point range that's that's what uh 59 that's too high can't give up 59 three-pointers it's kind of been a weakness for this team in the past and you know i know uri as i said well-coached team they're going to hit their open shots things like that but you can't be allowing them to shoot 10 of 17 in terms of the loss should we be concerned i don't think so i don't i don't think it's really an alarming thing uh, I guess it's maybe a wake-up call, you know. I, I hate to be that that old uh, curmudgeon and say, you know, they were reading their press clippings and things like that. 
But, um, you know, maybe they were reading their press clippings a little bit, and maybe they uh, they did see that ESPN report, which we're going to talk about, which had them in the top 25. Maybe they did see that a couple of their guys were named to award watch lists. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, it's just a scrimmage, so maybe it wasn't even taken very seriously. They did seem like they kind of spread the minutes out around uh, Pons and uh, Kata played 33 minutes, and that's it, uh, while URI had a couple guys play 37 and 35 minutes. They actually had four guys play 30 or more minutes. St. John's only had two. So seems like they spread the minutes around. I'm not going to really read too much into a scrimmage that we didn't even watch. Uh, I saw some people on Twitter saying, you know, we didn't read too much into the Rutgers scrimmage last year. And look how that season turned out. It kind of turned out to be indicative of how the season went. Uh, You know, it's a different team. It's a whole different year. It's just one loss, as I said. URI, they're not. I don't think they're expected to be very good this year. But they were a tournament team last year. They are a well-coached team. That's a program that's always kind of pesky, like I said. So playing them in a scrimmage and losing the scrimmage. If you're gonna play a bad game, I'd much rather play a bad game on October 21st in a closed-door scrimmage against URI than against uh, Georgia Tech or Cal in the non-conference or, you know, against Butler or Villanova in the conference. I'd rather play that dud in October in a game that not only doesn't count, but that no one even saw besides the two teams involved. So could have been worse for sure. Uh, Definitely could have been better. Could have won 85 points allowed. Definitely a little bit uh, concerning, but I I don't think it's too much to read into. It's just, you know, it's nice to see our names on a... uh, our, our guys' names on a box score again. And, and obviously, we're all going to overreact a little bit. But, you know, it, it's not the biggest deal in the world. <laughs> all right. Let's get to some news of the week. After our game recap, we have a lot of rankings, a lot of uh, polls and things like that in the preseason. The uh, AP preseason poll came out on Monday over the week on, weekend. Uh, Ken Palm released his preseason rankings uh let's touch on ken palm first only one uh big east team in ken palm's top 25 it was villanova at number five marquette follows them then butler creighton and st john's at number 39 so we are fifth in the conference right now which didn't really shock me you know uh, middle of the pack for for ken palm uh creighton little he had creighton actually a little bit higher than i thought they would be Providence right there always. Seton Hall, Xavier's pretty low. But the thing that really sticks out to me about the uh, the Ken Palm rating, which, which I think is one of the best uh, metrics in college basketball for, in terms of measuring teams, is look at all these teams in such a small window. Marquette, Ken Palm has them 29th. There are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams in the next 30. The Beast has eight teams in between number 29 and number 59. <laughs> Uh, in this conference, Villanova is 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 still kind of head and shoulders above the rest. They're 24 uh, rankings higher than everyone else, and DePaul is still kind of head and shoulders below the rest at number uh, 77. They're 20 points lower than everyone else. But even DePaul at number 77, that's not terribly low. You know, I mean, I I would say that DePaul is going to be even a tough task to, uh, this year. The the Big East as a whole, this is probably the most open that the Big East has ever been uh, in its history, maybe outside of year one, to be honest. Um, You know, you kind of can expect Villanova will be at the top. It wouldn't be crazy to expect that DePaul's going to be at the bottom. And then 
two through eight is is really up in the air, as you see. You know, St. John's is in fifth. Ken Palm has them sort of ten notches away from being number two in the conference. So there's not a whole lot of separation two to eight this year. Um, in the preseason, we can kind of rank them how we are, and I think a lot of people have you know Marquette, Butler, Creighton, St. John's, Providence as that upper uh, echelon of the of the other eight teams that I mentioned: Seton Hall, Xavier, and Georgetown toward the bottom, who are kind of rebuilding or reloading. But, you know, it wouldn't shock me anyway to see those eight teams really any finish, which leaves a lot of opportunity for St. John's in the non-conference and in-conference play. You know, there is going to be opportunity to move up and down because this conference is going to be balanced. And if you can pick up some wins and if you can play your game, who knows? You know, you know, there is no unbeatable team in the Big East this year, even Villanova. And we're going to get to the AP people in a second, but Villanova... It's not a rebuilding year for them. It's probably a reloading year for them. They're still going to be a top 10 team probably, but they are even probably the weakest that they've been in a while. And that's saying a lot that they're still number nine and they're certainly uh, going to be factor into the, uh, the Big East championship uh, race. But everyone in this conference can be beat. And I think everyone in this conference can beat you as well. So there is going to be a, a, a lot of opportunity for movement in the Big East this season. Uh, looking at the AP poll now, again, Villanova, the only ranked team. They're number nine in the AP poll. Uh, Marquette just missed out on a top 25 ranking. So only one Big East team ranked, which is a little bit, um, I don't want to say annoying, but a little, a little bit odd that, you know, this is supposed to be a rebuilding year, I, I know, but I would, I would have expected Marquette to get ranked at least. Um, St. John's, they finish, I believe, fourth in terms of the AP voters, um, we got three votes or two votes, I think three points or something like that. We're like 46th or 47th and Providence and Xavier are right behind us, obviously. So the AP is a little bit higher on Xavier than uh, Ken Palm was. But again, that's what, four or five Big East teams all bunched up into you know a 15 or 20 team window in terms of the national rankings. And again, this conference is going to be very, very tight, especially to start and especially on paper. Now, in terms of us getting a couple of votes, doesn't really surprise me. Um, I, you know, I hate to, to sound like I expected it, but I kind of did, especially after um, reading that ESPN article. They had us in the top 25. Um, I believe that was Friday. So nothing really shocks me that they received a few votes. This non-conference schedule, though, as I said, it gives them kind of the opportunity to improve on that ranking and to move up. They are on the top 25. They're not in the top 25, but they are on the top 25 receiving votes. And if you keep winning and if you beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, which should be almost everyone, if not everyone in the non-conference, not counting Duke, you will move up just by virtue of other teams losing because not everyone is playing as soft a non-conference as St. John's is. Obviously, that doesn't give them very many opportunities to one, lose, they don't have any wiggle room, and two, they don't really have any opportunities in the non-conference for a signature win, but by virtue of other teams losing, kind of like the 2014-15 uh, season, you might move up. Remember that team, I think, moved up to number 15 in the in the country at one point, and that team was never the 15th best team in the country. It's just other teams lost. We kept winning. We moved, moved up to number 15. So by virtue of, you know, whatever, the 20-something teams ahead of us uh, to get into the top 25 losing... We might be able to sneak our way in there at some point. It really would not surprise me too much to see St. John's ranked at some point in the non-conference play. And then in conference play, obviously, there's a lot of opportunities, again, to get big wins. So 
that's the rankings. Um, I do want to touch on now some of the accolades of the week. Jeff Borzello has us, number 25 in his power rankings. Uh, Shimori Pons, Bob Cousy Award watch list. That's the nation's best point guard. Mustafa Heron is the Jerry West Award watch list. He's the best shooting guard. Uh, CBS Sports has Shimori as number eight and Heron as number 56 in uh, their top 100 players. That was Matt Norlander. So, you know, high expectations, obviously. It's been a long time since expectations have been this high. And to be honest, I think that the biggest question is going to be, is Chris Mullen up to the task of of delivering uh, these expectations? Because it does fall on him. You know, his players are the ones receiving the accolades, but it's on him to deliver. And, you know, I'm not ever going to say that he's on the hot seat or anything like that, because I'm not going to do that, especially preseason. But they need to have a winning season. His teams have largely let down. And, um, you know, there have been valid reasons, obviously, with especially last year with... um, with uh, Marcus Levesque going down. There have been reasons, but, you know, he's not a new coach anymore. He's not a rookie coach anymore, but he has never dealt with these type of expectations to win um, and to, you know, bring St. John's back into the spotlight. So this needs to be the year, as I said, um, for Chris Mullen to put it all together and for this team to put it all together and to be a top 25 team, maybe, but to definitely be a top half of the Big East team and then an NCAA tournament team. Now to close it out, I just want to talk about our new AD, uh, Mike Craig, his new letter, his open letter to uh, fans. Uh, it, it was fine. It was a nice letter to see, but uh, I think that the big thing with having him, a former Duke uh, athletic department, he was you know, formerly of Duke, obviously, that should just help with the non-conference scheduling. You know, I think that uh, we hopefully won't have to learn from our lesson this year, but the non-conference schedule can't ever be as weak as it was this year if this is going to be a program that's going to stay in the top half of the Big East and making a consistent NCAA tournament uh, appearances. So hopefully the, the change of AD will result in an uh, Im- improvement in our non-conference schedule. But we'll have to see about that. Obviously, that's a couple of years down the road. All right. That is our show for the day. Thank you for listening. Hopefully next week we will have some Big East previews that we can uh, uh, play for you. I'm working on those, as I said. If you're interested in joining the show as a co-host, as a contributor in any way, hit me up on Twitter, at Troy Moriello. You can DM me, you can tweet at me, whatever you want to do. Again, if you like the show, let me know. If you don't like the show, let me know. Any feedback? Please let me know, trying to make this the best possible show that I can make it. Um, Next week, I think we'll have some reaction to Big East Media Day and maybe some news come out. Again, hopefully not um, as we count down the days before the start of college basketball season. It's almost here, a couple weeks away, and we will be here. So some games to talk about, some actual real storylines to talk about and not a piece of paper with a scrimmage on it. But thank you for listening. Uh, Have a good week, everyone. I will be back here next week. This is the Seeing Red Podcast with Troy Moriello.